Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. As we continue our Holy Habits series, we will look at the small and big S's of sin. Paul and this sermon show us the difference of what those two types of sin are. You're listening to Holy Habits, Baptism by Rev. Peter Yonker. Our scripture reading this morning is from Paul's epistle to the Romans, Romans chapter 6. I'll read the first 14 verses, Romans 6, 1 through 14. And as uh, Christy has already indicated, this is another series, the second to last one in our Holy Habits series. It's a series focused on the different elements of worship. And this whole season, this whole series, we've been thinking about how rituals and habits form us, right? The things we do every day, the things we give ourselves to every week, every year, these shape the people we become. And worship, what we're all doing right now, is a special kind of habit. It's a holy habit in that the Holy Spirit is engaged. And so the Holy Spirit is shaping us through this weekly ritual and making us into a Christ-like shape. We've seen and we've studied uh, the way the Spirit works through other elements of worship, and today we're going to focus on baptism. What happens to our children and to us when we go through this ritual of baptizing our children? And to do that, to think about baptism and its power, uh, Romans 6, we're going to read that together. And as we read it, um, I think you'll all notice that uh, Paul proclaims that baptism, in baptism, uh, God shows his power over sin. You'll hear that clearly here. But you'll also notice that um, the way Paul talks about sin, uh, there's a tension in it. He seems to talk about sin in, in two different ways. And, and specifically, is sin something that we're freed from? Or is sin something that we still struggle with? Are we passed it? Have we been liberated from it? Or are we still dealing with it? I'll show you what I mean. Let's, let's read it together, this passage. Paul says, what should we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live to it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Paul's clearly saying that when we are baptized, when our children are baptized, it's like they share in the death and resurrection of Jesus. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Okay, I think you'll agree that if you listen to the verbiage of, of that part of the passage, it sounds like sin is something in the past, right? Anyone who has died with Christ has been set free from sin. That's what it said in verse 7. Verse 2, we are those who have died to sin. Verse 6, our old self has been crucified with Christ. So that old sinful self has been put to death. And all of that is past tense in what Paul says. Sounds like we're done with sin. Now let's keep reading and, and see if it still sounds like we're done with sin. 
Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Still sounds like sin is in the past. But now, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its mortal desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. This is the word of the Lord. Now, I hope you can hear that in this part of Paul's passage, it sounds a lot more like sin is still something that's with us, that we're fighting. Paul is, still say, Paul is saying right now, stop sinning. Get away from sin. Don't let it rule over you. All right? Don't let sin rule in your motor body. Don't at any part of your body give in to sin. All right? So there's this sort of tension within the passage. On the one hand, it sounds like we're done with sin, but on the other hand, Paul keeps coming back and saying, stop sinning. How can this be? How can both of those things be true? In order to understand this, you have to understand that when Paul talks about sin, he talks about sin in two different ways. This is throughout his writing. Paul has two different ways of talking about sin. And if you don't understand the distinction between the ways he talks about sin, you will not understand Paul. If you don't understand the two different ways he talks about sin, I don't think you'll understand baptism. And I would argue that if you don't understand the two different ways Paul talks about sin, you'll have trouble understanding the churn in your own hearts. So what are those two different ways that Paul talks about sin? Let's call them sin with an uppercase S and sin with a lowercase S. When Paul talks about sin, he talks about sin with an uppercase S and sin with a lowercase S. Let's start with sin with a lowercase S. Sometimes, a lot of the time, when Paul talks about sin, what he's talking about are individual acts of wrongdoing. Individual acts of wrongdoing that we commit. So for we know God's law, we know the things that he wants us to do, we know the things that he doesn't want us to do. When we do the things that we're not supposed to do, we commit an individual act of wrongdoing, and that's a sin. We're out in the golf course, our round isn't going very well, and by hole five, the curse words start. We're a seventh grade boy, we're in the locker room, friends start telling dirty jokes, we join right in. We're making a good income, but we're spending most of that income on fun stuff and Stuff that brings us pleasure and our charitable giving is not where it should be. All those are sins. They're individual acts of wrongdoing. That's lowercase s sin. And when I say that, I don't mean that those sins aren't serious. They are serious. They're absolutely serious. All sin leads to death. But when I say that lowercase s sin is why I call lowercase s sin is because... It's stuff that we can theoretically correct with our own will and our own effort. 
which is what Paul's calling us to do in this passage. When Paul calls us to leave our sin and fight our sin, he's calling us to put away these individual acts of wrongdoing. And people do that all the time, right? People stop swearing on the golf course. People stop telling dirty jokes. People start to give their money to charities and for kingdom work. These are things that we do, and we can do that by our own will and intention. People do it all the time, and that's what Paul's calling us to do here. But that's not all of what sin is. If someone were to present you with a list of all your sins, all your individual acts of wrongdoing, put them all on a big list and it would be a long list. All those individual acts would not sum up the power of sin in your life. That's where uppercase S sin comes in. Often, when Paul talks about sin, He's not talking about individual acts of righteousness. He's talking about sin as a power. Sin as a force. Sin as a menacing evil crouching at your door that wants to possess you. Sin as a dark Lord who wants you as its slave. That's the sense of sin we see in verse 6. When Paul suggests that sin has the power to rule over you, That's the sense of sin we see in verse 12 when he says sin can reign in us. And that's a sense of sin that we see throughout his writings. You read through Paul, he's often talking about sin as this dark Lord, this malevolent force. And just one example, Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit that gives life, the Holy Spirit, has set us free from the law of sin and death. So sin and death are are like a law, something that holds us captive, and the power of Christ sets us free from those things. If you only think of sin as individual acts of righteousness, then you have not fully comprised the sense and power of sin in your life. Sin is a dark lord. Sin is a malevolent force that wants to have you. If you only think of sin as individual acts of wrongdoing, you might actually think that we can get over this sin thing. If someone gave you that list of all your individual acts of wrongdoing, you might actually think, hey, you know what? I could could probably tick these sins off. Stop swearing on the golf course. Done. No more dirty jokes. Okay, I could do that. I can do that. More giving to charity. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to change my spending. I could do it. You just work down the list, and then at the bottom... Righteousness. If that's all sin was, you could be under the illusion. If that's all you thought sin was, you could be under the illusion that you could do this. But that's not the main power of sin. Sin is a dark Lord crouching at your door, and all your will and all your intention will not set you free from its grasp. Only a power beyond yourself. The death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ can set you free from that power of sin. To be free from that power of sin, you must be born again. And in this passage, Paul tells us that we are set free from that power of sin at our baptisms. When we baptize a child, that child is baptized into the power of Jesus' death and resurrection. It's like 
in that water, a mortal struggle between good and evil is taking place before our eyes. I know that's not how you see it. I think baptisms are cute. You think baptisms are cute. When Bob holds the baby in his arms and blesses him, we all take out our phones and take pictures, and that's great. But at the heart of baptism, the power of Jesus' death and resurrection is going into the heart of that child and setting it free from the tyranny of the devil. When a child is baptized, doesn't mean they don't suffer with sin, doesn't mean they don't struggle with sin as they get older. But as they get older, they do not belong to that sin. They belong to Jesus Christ, their Lord. A great picture of all that theology, the difference between Paul's two senses of sin and what baptism does to set us free from the tyranny of the devil, is found in C.S. Lewis's book, uh, The Voyage of the Don Treader. I think most of you know the Narnia series, at least know about it. That's a series of imaginary tales where a lion named Aslan is the Christ figure, and young English children are brought into Narnia to face various perils, and it's Lewis's allegory of faith. In The Voyage of the Don Treader, the three British children are brought into Narnia to sail on the ship called the Don Treader and go on adventures. And one of the boys on the trip is a boy named Eustace. And Eustace is impossible. Eustace is a miserable creature. He is mean. He is spiteful. He is hateful. He is cruel. And the longer he spends on the boat in Narnia, the worse it gets. And it all comes to a head when one day the boat docks in an island and he takes off because he's mad at everyone and feeling bitter and he finds a dragon's cave full of gold and he lies down on the gold and falls asleep and imagines that all of this will be his. But in the middle of the night, he finds out that this is a magic cave and Eustace is turned into a dragon. He becomes the physical embodiment of his soul. He becomes the miserable creature that he has been. And as soon as he finds out he's a dragon, he's, he's miserable and he wants, to, he wants to change. But he can't do anything to stop being a dragon. Until one night, very late, Aslan the lion, the Christ figure, appears to him and leads him up a mountain into a fruited garden, leads him to the center of that garden, and in the center of the garden there is a pool it's ringed in marble, and it has steps down into the pool. And as soon as Eustace sees the water of the pool, he wants to go down into the water because it's clear, and there's light coming from it. And he just feels that if, if I get into that water, I'll feel better. And Aslan says to him, because he can see what Eustace wants, you may go into the water, but you must undress yourself first. And Eustace doesn't know, what does that mean? I'm a dragon. But then he thinks, oh, maybe I'm like a snake. Like if I shed my skin, then I can go down into the water. And so he takes his dragon claw and he cuts off that first layer of his skin. And sure enough, it just peels off. And he steps out of it and he goes to step into the pool. But when he steps, he sees that his foot is still a dragon foot. He took off his surface, but he's still a dragon underneath. So he tries again. He, he puts the claw on, he takes it off. He steps, he's still a dragon. He does it a third time. He's still a dragon. And he's starting to despair when the lion says to him, 
you have to let me undress you. Eustace is terrified by this, but he opens himself up to Aslan. And the lion takes his claw and cuts deep into the boy. And here's how Eustace describes it. The first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right to my heart. And then when he began pulling my skin off, it hurt worse than anything I had ever felt. But then he peeled the beastly stuff right off me. It lay in a heap. And then he caught hold of me and threw me in the pool. And when he started swimming around in the pool, he realized that his dragon self was gone and that his flesh had become that of a young boy. If you know the books, you know that from that day forward, Eustace changed. He's not done with sin. He's miserable occasionally. But he doesn't belong to his misery. He belongs to Aslan. That is such a great picture of baptism and of the two powers at work there. You can try to take off your surface sins, your individual acts of wrongdoing, as often as you want, and it won't make any difference if you don't change the dragon self underneath. And in that water, our Lord Jesus Christ, through the power of his baptism, takes our children and says, you do not belong to the evil one. You belong to me. And in our baptisms, we remember the same. This distinction between these two kinds of sin is not, um, it's, it's not just in this book. It's, it's something we live every day. I'm thinking about your prayer. I don't want to presume that I know exactly how you pray, but I've heard enough people pray, and I've prayed enough myself that I think you probably pray uh, more or less like me. And that means that just like Paul has two levels of sin, your prayer is a couple of levels. Often when you pray, you ask God to help you with individual things and challenges that you have. Lord, I've got a meeting today. Help me with that. Lord, I've got to deal with a difficult person today. Help me to be kind and help me to be a good listener. So you're praying at that, that first level when you make those prayers, right? Against individual acts of wrongdoing, small s sin. But then if you're like me, there's another level to your prayer. And the deepest level of your prayer is more like this. You say, Lord, I do not know how I'm going to find the energy to get through this day. Have mercy upon me. Lord, I feel empty. Fill me. Lord, I am hungry. Feed me. Lord, I am thirsty. Give me something to drink. I surrender to you, Lord. I give you my life. Do you hear how that is opening up for the Holy Spirit to wash us at that deep, capital S kind of sin? When we do that, it's like we're coming back to the pool in the story and we're asking Christ to throw us in. It's the heart of our faith. Because when we do it, we become like children. When my kids were at Grand Rapids Christian High, there was a bit of a controversy one year. Um, they have a thing called Winterum, and kids go on these two-week trips. And some of the young people on the trip, uh, some of the young people were able to go to Israel. There was about 20 kids who went to Israel, and it was meant to be a faith-building experience. They were going to walk where Jesus walked. 
and have their faith renewed. And they did that. And it was. It was a very positive experience for them. And then the trip ended. They went down to the Jordan River. And they had a worship service right on the shores of the Jordan River, which was great. The worship service was led by someone who was not from the Reformed or from an infant baptism tradition. So at the end of the service, the minister invited all the kids to come down into the Jordan River and be baptized. And many of the kids did. The problem was that these were Christian Reformed Covenant children. And they had already been baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I don't know how well you know your baptismal theology, but we believe that once you're baptized, you shouldn't have to be baptized again. So parents were mad, right? Parents were mad when these kids came home and told them that. They thought, oh, you've disrespected my tradition. You've disrespected my view of baptism. I absolutely sympathize with those parents. But I also completely understand why those kids wanted to go in that river. Because even though they'd been baptized once and that baptism matters, that part of them, it's part of all of us that wants to go down and have Jesus completely wash us, made them want to go into that stream. I sympathize with the parents. I don't think the kids should have been rebaptized. Rebaptism is wrong. But the urge to surrender yourself could not be more right. It's the heart of our faith because when we do it, we become like a child. And we hearken back to the river that washed us at the beginning. And when we practice holy baptism in this place, when we see our children washed, we see them being immersed in that river and being cleaned. And we have an opportunity in our own minds to remember the power that washed us and to surrender ourselves to our Lord again. Not to be rebaptized, but to immerse ourselves in the stream that washed us from the beginning and will wash us all the way to the end. It's not just a trickle that flows from this font, it's a great river that cleans us all. And when you're in this church, you can actually see that. Um, I don't know if you ever noticed, but there's a kind of a blue wave runs along the bottom of our windows. I know some of you have noticed because you've said it to me before, but can you see that? It sort of goes over there and then it picks up. There's this kind of blue watery wave. And if you look in that picture up there, that's um, Jesus being baptized in the Jordan. You can see the Jordan River kind of flows down, joins in to that big watery wave. Now, I don't know what the artist intended when he put that watery wave at the bottom. But when I'm in this place, I like to think it's the river of God's covenant faithfulness. It's the river of baptism, the river of our hope. And every single week when we come here, you're literally immersed in it, right? You're all underwater, except for the balcony people. <laughs> you are, it's just, you're not symbolically uh, included. And we're all underwater. Every week. We submerge ourselves in these covenant promises. And it's good. It's really good. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your baptismal promises, for this grace that flows from your death and resurrection that lifts up our children, Lord, and that lifts us up too every week, every week when we feel overwhelmed, every week when we feel too small in the face of the world's problems. We come here and we remember that you are Lord and that you love us 
and that in you everything holds together and that we will be okay. May that deep promise um, give us courage as we go out into the world and try to be your people and to do the right things and to fight against wrongdoing and to show your love. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.